Well, it was a really good question, a logical question, don't you think? The angel Gabriel came to this impoverished teenager and says, Hey, guess what? You're going to be the one to bear the Christ child into the world. And she says, How can this be since I'm only a virgin? I mean, that's, that's a pretty good question, don't you think? As we make our way through this season of Advent this year, we're, we're trying to focus our attention on the fact that Jesus Christ was sent into the world by the Father to be a blessing. To be a blessing to us. And not any kind of a blessing, but a transformational blessing that, you know, Jesus didn't just come to die for our sins. He did that. I'm grateful for that. But he also came to invite us into the dynamic of a transformational process that changes us so that we become truly different people than we ever otherwise could have been. And so we've been focusing in Advent on the the, the points of this transformation. The first one, as you remember, was, was from uh, Isaiah, who said the transformation is one from darkness into light. And Isaiah said the people walking in darkness have seen a great what? Light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light is done. So, you know, Jesus coming into the world and into our lives snaps on the light. The Apostle Peter in the New Testament, he... he he echoed that, he built on that when he said, you know, the people of God, that is those who actually follow after the Lord authentically, will be described in this way. He said, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's talking about us. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who did what? Called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So this light. Is, is, is such a big thing. And Jesus himself, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So that, you know, walking with Jesus means walking in the light. That there's, there's a light to be lived in because of Jesus. This light changes things, doesn't it? It shows us things. It shows us things about ourselves. Not always good things. But it does show good things. It shows possibilities. It shows potential. It shows stuff that we never would have guessed for ourselves. Yes? It shows us, it shows us things about others as we look around. And I think one of the most exciting things about the light is it shows us the kingdom of God reality that is always happening all the time wherever we are. That we're walking through our lives and with the light of the Lord, it's like, yeah, but, but look, at, look at what's also going on in the room. The kingdom of God breaks out. So that was part of the transformational process. Last week we talked about, about the second part of the transformational process or blessing of Jesus, if you will, is this, that Jesus coming into the world changed Change things from a national perspective to a personal one. That John the Baptist came into the world and to prepare the way for Christ. And in the Old Testament, God largely dealt with the people of Israel as a nation, as a people, as a group. But part of John the Baptist's message was that with the coming of Jesus, all that's going to change. In, in fact, he, he made that bold statement. People were coming and saying, do not say, do not say to yourselves, I like the way it says that. Do not say to yourselves that Abraham is our father. The people were 
holding back from God because they were rationalizing it to themselves, saying, but we're just fortunate because we're of the the heritage of Israel. And he said, don't say that because that's all going to change, that with Christ it becomes a personal thing and we pass through the cross. It's good news because it made a way for us, right? And it made a way for the thing to change from this distant thing with God into a personal thing with God. We have to be sure we're never saying that because I was born into a Christian family, I'm a Christian. Or because I was raised in the church, I'm a Christian. Um, Those things can be real serious advantages, absolutely. But until one is born again, until one comes to a personal encounter with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they're not a Christian. We cannot claim a heritage and say that's enough because the transformation was from a national thing to a very personal thing. That we, would, that we would have this close, loving relationship with the Father, always increasing, always growing, always expanding. So the, the question then becomes, are you still experiencing the dynamic of your Heavenly Father? Like experiencing that. Because being born again is that. It's being born. It's not the end, right? It's the very beginning. Of relationship, and so that's where that's where we've come so far. On this third Sunday of Advent, we're struck with the third element of the transformational blessing that Jesus came, and that is that He transforms our weakness into His power. Did you hear that? That part of the coming of Christ is that He transforms our our weakness and even our weakest weakness into His magnificent power. It's not hard to read through the Gospels and and see that God seems to take great pleasure in starting with the very weak as vessels of a demonstration of his power. Have you noticed this? Has anybody read the Bible yet? Anybody been reading it? And you you notice this? It's like he never picks the strong to become stronger. He, He picks the weak to become miraculously powerfully strong. Never is that more obvious than in the selection of Mary, this teenager virgin, to be the one to bring Christ. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, Luke's a gospel, it's, it's right there. It's that far back, okay, if you're looking. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 26 through 38 for you. And this is, the, this is the account that shows that God delights in taking human weakness and turning it into his incredible power. Luke 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, stop, right? What's your question? The sixth month of what? I mean, if it's in there, it's got to be important, right? That's in the sixth month of the year? The sixth month of what? What? Elizabeth? How do you know that, Marie? Because you taught the kids in the first service. (laughs) That's fantastic. How many of you can relate? You learn more by teaching in the children's ministry than you ever. (laughs) So this is a, when we we encounter something like this in the Bible, we stop because, because we want to observe what? The context. Perfect. The context. In the sixth month, it says, 
Well, in the six months of what? In the six months of what? Well, what just happened? What just read upstairs in your Bible there? Can't do that if you didn't bring it, can you? What just happened? Yeah, the, the Elizabeth and Zechariah encounter with the angel, telling, telling them that in their old age, they were going to be the ones to bear, to bear the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, in the world. So they just, that's what, how it starts. And then we say in the sixth month, so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, hold on to that word, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Who wouldn't be, right? It's an angel. Have you ever been startled? By an angel? This would be a very freak out moment. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Oh, phew, right? You've not been sent to kill me. Phew, a relief. Here's the good news. Here's the news that comes next. You will be with child and give birth to a son. Is that good news to a teenager, an unmarried teenager? How is that ever good news? He says, just relax, don't be afraid, I haven't come to kill you, you've found favor with God, you're going to be pregnant. Mm. And you are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. That was the good news. And then she asks the most logical question. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. It's a good question, right? Are you keeping up? That's a good question. The angel answered, Oh, it's no problem. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. God has this. And then he goes on to say, the angel, well, even Elizabeth, your Aunt Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her what? Six months. There, just as we suspected. For nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. God seems to delight in taking the very weak, the very weak, and using it as a way of expressing his most incredible power. We were noticing this in home group at my house on Wednesday night. We were talking about the Christmas story and kind of do a little worship advent. We were doing it. It's kind of a nice night. And we were just discussing the Christmas story, you know. And it occurred to us, that if you just think about the people that God chose to bring this whole Christ into the world, I mean... There's a bug-eating prophet called John the Baptist. There's a band of very low-life shepherds. And now we have on the scene someone who would essentially be an unwed, pregnant teenager. This is God's dream team. 
These are his first round draft picks. These are, this is who God picks. Does anybody other than me take great comfort in this and even inspiration in this? It kind of explains this old church, doesn't it? We notice this, and so the angel comes to Mary and says, don't be afraid, I've got good news. You're going to be an unwed pregnant teenager. And she says the most logical thing, well, how, how, how can this be? How can this be since I'm a virgin? How can this be? It's just a logical question. I don't think she's arguing back to you. She's just saying, Really? <laughs> How can this be? It took me a long time to learn this. As a young man and as a very immature Christian and as a terrible beginning husband. Oh my gosh, poor creature. My first wife, Karen, she just put up. Well, she's still my first wife, but she's my first wife. She just, I don't know how, I don't know how she lasted. So by the time I, you know, got excited about God and stuff and got all amped up, you know, and going to seminary and all this stuff, and then I'm a pastor, and I had this terrible habit of, I'm going to go pray, and I would go pray for sometimes a long time, and I would come back from the mountain, and I would announce what God had said. This is God's plan for us. Ah, oh, It's terrible. And you know what? In all of those years, she, she always said, okay. Okay. She never said, no, we're not doing that. Never once. She'd say, okay, but then she asked a question. And she said, okay, exactly how are we going to do that? <laughs> exactly how are we going to move to Columbus, Ohio and start a church? Exactly you realize we have five kids at home and a, a Caprice Classic station wagon with its second engine and wood sides. You, you realize that, right? That's who we are. Who? And so our question, and it, it, it used to bother me. But her question was not a faithless question at all. It was a logical question. Her faith statement was made, and I just missed it when she said, okay. That's where her faith was released, right? Okay, we can move to Columbus, Ohio with five kids and an old station. We can do that. Okay. That's where her faith was released. She just asked the Mary question, how, how can this be? How, how, how just... How can this be? Is it okay to ask it? It took me a long time to grow up to learn that. It's a good question. When God comes and says to you, I want you to do this, and you're like blown away, it's okay to say, okay, how can this be? How is this going to work? She asked a good question. She said, how can this be since I am a virgin? Now, there are some people in the world who seem very committed to remaining in a secular worldview. And so they try to pick things apart in the Bible so as to remove 
the miraculous. It's because it makes them a lot more comfortable. You know, God's a lot more manageable if he's not miraculous, right? He's easier to keep in our pockets if he's not the God of the Bible. One of the ways this happens within this passage is that there are people who will claim to be scholars and they will say, well, this word virgin could mean different things. That in the day it it may have meant just that she was a young woman. Or it may have meant she was just referring to the fact that she was unmarried. And so they try to, they try to rob the, the passage of its power, of its miraculous nature, by explaining it away. I'm sometimes amused at how hard some people work not to believe the Bible. I've just found it a lot easier to believe it. <laughs> and a lot more effective and exciting. But they do that. But I think the nature of Mary's question is obvious, both from the context and the text. Because she's asking the question, how can this be? And she's not saying, how can this be, I'm not married? How can this be, I'm so young? She's saying, I think she's almost wondering if the angel knows how pregnancy works. I mean, I mean, he says, here's what's going to happen. And she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Maybe, maybe she's wondering, maybe angels don't know. They don't have that, right? May I stop there? They don't have that. Maybe she's wondering. Maybe the angel doesn't realize that in order for her to become pregnant, that she would have to have been with a man. Maybe she doesn't. How, so her question is so logical. How can this be since I'm a virgin? Because those are really the stunning words that the angel said that would prompt the question. And uh, then the angel answered Mary with seven words that changed the world. The angel Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. <laughs> that, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. How can this be? I'm a virgin. No problem. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Because there is no human weakness that can stand in the way of the fulfillment of the, of the will of God when the Holy Spirit comes on you. These are seven words that change the world. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the angel went on to say in this same passage that with the Holy Spirit in the picture, not only would the virgin conceive a child as a virgin, but that even her old Aunt Elizabeth and Uncle Zechariah, who were, who had, she had been barren all of her life, and were well beyond the child-bearing years, that that was no problem for God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now, John the Baptist was not an immaculate conception in the same way at all that Jesus was, because I think we can easily assume that Zechariah was in there somewhere. But that's still a miracle. For all... Old people to have babies. <laughs> How did that happen? How, 
they, they, they may have said, how can this be? I'm 96 and she's 83. How can this be? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that is the answer that beats every answer. That is the answer that removes every obstacle and overcomes every, every limitation. That's the answer that transforms our human weakness into God's divine power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then the angel finished what he was saying and and then he put a footnote on the bottom of this whole thing where he says, for nothing is impossible with God. For nothing is impossible with God. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, nothing is impossible. You believe that? Are you sure? I mean... That's a lot to believe, isn't it? And there are some times in our lives that that's a lot to try to believe. There are some times in our lives that we're faced with such incredible, incredible obstacles, incredible challenges, incredible circumstances, that that becomes a lot easier to say than it is to believe, right? Nothing is impossible with God. That in the case of Mary, that you're never too young for God to use you in a powerful way when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That in the case of Elizabeth, it's never too late. It's never too late. Some of you sitting there going, I wish I would have heard this when I was 25. I'd have done something about it. Take that up with Elizabeth. Take it up with Moses. Take it up with Abraham and Sarah. Take it up with the Bible. you got a problem if you think it's too late for God to empower you by his Holy Spirit and change everything. you got a problem if you don't, if you don't believe that's true. Because that is the witness of the Scripture. Says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, there is no obstacle, there is no weakness There is no factor that will prevent God from showing himself in power except one. There is one critical factor that will keep God from showing himself in power. And that's revealed for you in verse 38 of our text. After the angel said all this to Mary, all this overwhelming stuff, her response was, she asked her question, he answered the question, And she says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Just a surrendered obedience to the outlandish plan of God. That's the difference. The one condition that God will almost never override is the humble obedience of those he calls. God has created us in his own sovereign will as free moral agents. That means that we remain free to obey God or we remain free to disobey God. That's how he made us. That's how it works. When we obey, when we obey the revealed word of God in the scriptures, in the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, when we obey 
the word of God in our lives, then God transforms our weakness into his power. When we ignore or disobey the revealed word of God in our lives, God does not transform our weakness into his power, but we remain in our weakness. When the word of God comes and speaks to us in some aspect of our lives, when we respond in obedience, we are inviting God to transform us from weak to strong. When we ignore it, when we rationalize it, when we come up with reasons why we are an exception to the revealed word of God, then we remain weak in that area of our lives. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how you become strong, is by obeying what God says. That's how it works. It doesn't work another way. There aren't any exceptions. That's how you become strong. How many of you used to watch Monday Night Football when John Madden was the commentator, remember? Man, did he say the most ridiculously obvious things or what? You know, you remember him? I mean, he'd just say like, he'd just say stuff like, well, that guy, if, if, that, if, if that guy catches it in the end zone, it, that's going to that's gonna be a touchdown. <laughs> that's how touchdowns work, right? You catch it in the end zone and you have six points, Right? That's how touch, That's the only way to get a touchdown, correct? Is to get it in the end zone. There is no other way to be awarded a touchdown in football except to get it in. It doesn't matter how nice your uniforms look. You, you can have the playbook memorized, but that doesn't, guarantee, that doesn't get you a touchdown, does it? you got to run your routes. you got to play your position. If everybody does that, then by golly, if he catches that, I know it's a little more Jimmy Stewart than it is John Madden, but <laughs> if, if, he catches that, if he catches that in the end zone, that's a touchdown. That's how it works. When we obey the word of God, then we offer ourselves to God to have our obvious weakness transformed into his amazing power. Through obedience. One step of obedience at a time. (laughs) Think about what happens when we obey. When we obey God, then he pours out his Holy Spirit on us, right? The, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Happens. And that's why our that's why we're transformed. Think about think about the first century church in Acts chapter two. Did anybody read Acts yet? Josh, I would have expected you as a worship leader to have read Acts by now. Thank you. Okay. You get to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2, and uh, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church in a truly amazing way, right? And this weak church, this infant, vulnerable, weak church, is right there on the spot, transformed into the miraculous power of God so that the gospel goes out to however many cultures are listed in that passage. And so weakness is transformed to power by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think a question you might want to ask is, what were those people doing there? What were those people doing there that caused them to be recipients of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Where where were they? They were in Jerusalem. 
Why were they in Jerusalem? Because the Lord told them to stay there. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, the risen Jesus says to a couple of them, tell everybody to wait in Jerusalem for the gift my Father has promised. Stay there. And so, because they were obedient to that, they were in the place in obedience where the Holy Spirit's poured out and their weakness was transformed into his power. That's the principle. That's the principle throughout Scripture. Elizabeth and Zechariah are excellent examples of this principle also. I mean, do you wonder, why did God use them to bring John the Baptist into the world? Why Why did God use them to transform their weakness into his power? Well, look in Luke chapter 1, verse 6. When it's talking about that, just a page over from where you were. In describing Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says, Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They were obedient. And in their obedience, God used them to transform their weakness into his power. When we obey the clear word of God, then God moves and transforms our weakness into his power. When we choose to ignore or willfully disobey the clear word of God, then we absolutely prevent that transformation from happening. That's how it works. So let's summarize this. First of all, one of the four dimensions of the transformational blessing of Jesus Christ is to change our weakness into his power. That in addition to Jesus coming as light, lighting the place up, in addition to Jesus coming that through, the, through the cross and the resurrection to draw us into a personal relationship with the Father, that in addition to that, that, that through Jesus Christ, God wants to take our most disqualifying weaknesses from the human standpoint and use them in powerful ways for his purposes. Second, the key to, to, to moving from our weakness into his power is to encounter the Holy Spirit. This is the key, to encounter the Holy Spirit. Mary asked, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Angel says, no problem. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Everything changes. Those are the seven words that change the world. Your question is, have those seven words changed you? Number three, the single most important factor in being engaged by the Holy Spirit in our lives is surrendered obedience. If you want this transformational process to occur, you need to give thought to what the Lord is saying to you, what the Word of God is saying to you in areas of disobedience and change that through an act of your will. Um, Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. That the blessing is not just in hearing it. Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. Um, and Mary heard the Word of God, she obeyed it, and she, and, and, and she was changed from weak to strong. So if the word of God says that we should pray, that does it? Yes. So when we pray, God changes our weakness into his power. And when we don't, he doesn't. When the word of God says that we should enter into worship, that when we make that decision and enter into the act of worship, then God changes our weakness into his power. And when we don't, he doesn't. 
And when the word of God says that we should witness or we should love one another or that we should tithe or that we should provide for the poor or that we should pray for the sick, then when we do these things, God changes our weakness into his power and when we don't, then he doesn't. This is the way it works. It's without exception. If you just look at the record of Scripture, God chose a 100-year-old man named Abraham with his 90-year-old wife named Sarah to have a son to begin the lineage of Christ. God chose a boy named David to conquer Goliath. He chose a little girl named Esther to rescue Israel from genocide. God chose an impetuous fisherman named Peter to be the rock upon which Jesus Christ has built his church. And God has chosen you to go and bear the gospel into the world. It's your turn. It's your turn. So you need to get in touch with what your question is. What's your sense question? Okay, but how can this be sense? And what's in the blank? What goes? It's it's unique to you. How can this be since? How can this be since I'm an addict? I need to be delivered. How can this be? How can this be since I've I've been married and divorced three times. How can this be? I mean, what are your disqualifying what are your disqualifying factors? How can this be since I suffer from the trauma of having been sexually abused as a child? How can this be? Put it in the blank, but remember you're going to get an answer. He's going to say the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's how this will be. Holy Spirit will come upon you. When you ask that question in faith, not as an excuse, there's one way to say, ah, can this get, you're really saying this can't be because that's not what she said. She said, how can this be? Since I am a virgin. God had an answer. He has an answer for you. It depends on what your question is. Jeremiah asked, how can this be since I'm only a boy? He said, don't say You're only a boy. He said, before you were born, I knew you. And I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. I have an answer. Moses said, how can this be? I can't speak. Well, that's what Aaron is for. (laughs) Always an answer. So what sense are you using? How can this be? There's so much possibility. Your weakness is not a disqualifying factor. Last Sunday night, we were in here for the children's program, and it was, whew. Yeah? It was so good. The stage was all covered up with their props and stuff, and kids were coming in and doing their thing and their parts, and it was adorable and it was powerful at the same time. And there was an evangelistic edge added to the whole thing. It was so full of the Holy Spirit. It was just great. Karen and I sat about two-thirds of the way back over there on the side. This is my first wife, Karen. We sat back (laughs) over there. Because the church was pretty full, even when we got here, it was pretty full. And so we, we sat back there, and we were watching it and enjoying it. And at one point, 
I was just overwhelmed. I was just over, it was an emotional moment for me, not like a sobbing, weird thing. It was just like, it was a breathless, emotional moment for me when it was going on because I was just struck with everything that was going on. And I asked the Lord this question. I said, how did we get here? How did, how did you use two misguided teenagers to lead the way here? It's not our work. It's God's work. You know how I mean that. How, how did we, I'm sitting next to my girl, and how do, how do we get here? got thinking about our history. We started in a living room. I got thinking about this storefront and the high school and the little white building we were in. And how did how did we get here? How did how how do we have a children's home in India? How do how do we partner in a children's home in Nicaragua? How do we have global connections? How did we get here? And the Lord was very generous with the most simple answer. He just spoke to my spirit. He said, you got here by one small act of obedience at a time. Many times we ask, okay, Lord, how can this be? How can this be? And the answer is always the same. The Holy Spirit will come on you. He transforms our weakness in His power. I hope you're asking that question. I hope you're listening in a place where God speaks and and you're not afraid of the big stuff when He calls you and says, the big. Because it's okay in faith to say, okay, how can this be? In other words, show me what the first step is. I'm still praying exactly the same prayer (laughs) that I was in the living room. What's the next step? I don't need to see five steps. I just want to see the next step. That's a big part of my prayer life right now. I'm saying, Lord... What's the next step? I'm like, it's getting late. (laughs) What's the next step? What's God saying to you these days? What's he rolling around in your heart? What's the the possibility of an envisioned life that is hindered by your weakness? What's the possibility for your life that you can even just see in front of you the person you could be, the believer you could be? What, what would be right there in front of you? But the thing is, is this, there's this weakness that says you're not going to get there. The thing in front of you is of the Lord. And he's saying, come. So your question is, how can this, okay, how can this be? Since 
Let's pray. Lord, uh, it's such a pleasure to be your sons and daughters in this house. It's such a thrill to have your Bible come alive to us. Not an ancient text, but a living word. God, I do thank you for every person that you draw into this place. I thank you for them, and I know that each of them has a, a story. And I just pray, Father, for each of them now, that in these just moments of our response to your word, that you'd give us opportunity to see in our eyes what our life could be, what something could be that's just held back. It's hindered by a weakness. God, would you just draw every person into that conversation? Would you just inspire every person to just say, okay, Lord, but how can this be since? Because only you have the answer. And so, Lord, we invite you to come. I, I pray for everybody. I pray for the ones who have not yet made their way to you as their Savior, who are kind of just keep circling around this as though that that's enough. I pray, God, for them. I pray for the people who have found comfort in these chairs, but haven't found the comfort of Christ in their life. I pray for them. I, I just pray for anybody locked up in a lie and a deception now. I pray for those who are in disease. I pray. I pray for those who are in poverty. I pray, God, for those whose marriages seem spinning out of control. I invite you, Lord, to come and just say to us, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Holy Spirit, come. Come and move in power among us. Let the kingdom of God break out here in this room. Let the kingdom of God break out. Let the light be brighter so that we can see the presence of, of angels here, the presence of Jesus here among us to do what you want to do, Lord. Just pray now that your power will come, your Holy Spirit will be welcome here in every heart, that there wouldn't be a doubting mind among us, God, so that your, your spirit can just move freely and powerfully in the house. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come, Lord. I'd like to ask some prayer ministry people to jump up and come up here and make yourselves available to pray. There are 557 of you who have been through the prayer ministry training, so there should be a lot more than three people moving right now. You are, you answered a call to come and be equipped to pray for others. I would never want the flow of the power of God to be hindered by anything, let alone the reluctance of people who are ready to pray come and pray you guys standing over there nothing is impossible with God nothing is impossible nothing is impossible there is nobody that could come to you and present a situation that would be too hard for God and you are responding to his call to be a part of that and to you guys I want to say nothing is impossible with God. It can't be too late. It can't be too late.
I just pray that as we're here and we just spend a few minutes responding to God, I pray that if you've got something going on in your life that you just need somebody to believe with you or maybe even for you. Maybe you're just saying, I I can't even believe now. I need somebody to believe for me. That you just come. If you're stirred at all with with a thought to come to Christ today, you're a person and you're going... I've heard this before, maybe I've never heard it before, but there's something stirring inside of me that says today is the day that I want to enter into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then you can get up and you can come to these people and they're going to say, they're going to ask you one question when you get there. What are we praying about? And you can say, I want to become a Christian. I'm ready. And they'll know what to do next. I'm just saying, if there's something going on in your life, if we are people who truly believe the Bible, and the Bible says, for nothing is impossible with God, then nothing should hinder us from obeying the stirring that he puts in our lives. Church, will you stand with me? Let's worship the Lord. Respond to God's call in your life.